Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 51 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Pergamos, Part 2. Our teacher is Alan Smith. So let's get started. Uh, we've already passed Smyrna. We're into Pergamos now. And uh, last week, we, the last few weeks, I've been going over the pagan gods there. And uh, we want to uh, key in on the seven churches. You know, the, the Lord had something against each church. Well, basically five of them and of the churches. And we want to focus on what was it that the Lord had against the church and the world. And uh, as we look at Matthew 13, it gives us an example of what the church will look like in the world. Uh, we have the wheat and the tares and the and the uh, the sower that came to sow, uh, mustard seed, uh, leaven in the lump. All of these parables were about the church and the world and what God is doing behind the scenes on behalf of the church. So when we go to the seven churches, we see actual churches in the world scene and what they looked like and what was going on. And so now we're up to this church of Pergama, and we... Uh, as we're doing this uh, second coming of Christ teaching. Uh, and as we see here, and I've shown you this, first we did Ephesus and we did Smyrna. Uh, and then, of course, we're into Pergamon now. And uh, at the bottom, and the reason I'm putting this up there each week, I want you to start uh, making an association that these also stand for the time periods in the last 2,000 years. And now 2,000 years ago, the pagan uh, gods were alive and well. There were temples all over uh, in Asia and, and Rome, and all of these pagan gods actually had temples for them uh, all over the, the ancient world. And now we look at these ancient temples as ruins, as which we've looked at it uh, in Ephesus and in Smyrna, now in Pergamum. Uh, that these ancient temples are somewhat in ruins, but we have been, it's been taught to us, we've had the revelation, and also through Trevor's teaching, he did a few months back, how these gods with a little g are not necessarily make-believe. We tend to say the word gods, and we think, well, that's just in myth. That's myth only not understanding that these man-made uh, symbols of the gods actually represented uh, the gods. And uh, I'm not uh, at all saying that the cross of Christ is a god, but I am saying it's a symbol. It's a symbol of what Christ did for us is that symbol of the cross. So it brings association with us of something that was real and something happened, right? So it is with symbols. We take communion, same way. But with the pagan gods, or the deities that you, if you will, that were against Jehovah God, uh, you have all these entities and these lesser gods, or as Trevor has told us, a lot of them were fallen angels, and they were given assignments over different places of the earth. And so therefore, the uh, in ancient times, they would uh, create these big monuments or temples, if you will, of these pagan gods. Now, it, our question is, when these, a lot of these temples have been destroyed, uh, and it's, it's amazing to me, just like 
Solomon's temple and, and the second temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. So it's almost like there's not a temple, if you will, of the gods or even of uh, Jehovah. It's like all the temples have been destroyed. But the question is, just because the temple's destroyed, does it mean that that God has been destroyed? And of course, we know that the gods are still there. Jehovah's still there, even though the temple was destroyed. Did that just because God came down on the, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant's gone, doesn't mean God's gone. It means the symbol's gone. But we have to ask ourselves, okay, if these symbols are gone, these places of worship are gone, what happened to these gods? <laughs> what happened to their influence? Are they still being worshipped? Are they in hiding? Or uh, are they still with us? Now, it just so happens that they have been a little bit in hiding, I guess you could say, these pagan gods. And that, uh, um, but they are looking in these end times, right before the second coming of Christ, to be resurrected in a in a mighty way, even though they're still here in influence. So when we look at the seven churches, just keep in mind the pagan gods, Jehovah, Jesus, the second coming of Christ, and we got the seven churches here. And these seven churches give us an idea of these churches in the atmosphere of pagan gods. And the question is, is if we can make a, a correlation or even a comparison of then and now, because the Lord wants to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it is important that we can identify these things. Now, here was the message to Pergamos, it's third of seven churches in churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Each message includes a specific word for the reader to consider. The third letter is to the believers in Pergamum, which we've been going over the last two weeks, which was a beautiful art-filled city built along two tributaries of the Caucasus River. Pergamum was a center for worship of Dioses, Zeus, and other pagan gods. Very important. Do not... Cast these aside as something that's make-believe. They are real on planet Earth. Of course, there's the Acropolis or the top uh, where you see the theater. We went over in detail some of these things uh, and the temples uh, of these uh, gods. Pergamon was one of the most important cities in the Greek age and it was culturally rich with extensive uh, library. At its heart was a lot of the writings of these pagan gods. And so we see Smyrna down below there. You see Ephesus, about 40 miles to Smyrna, about 60 miles to Pergamum. And so, and Smyrna is modern-day Ishmael. Uh, and so we went into the scriptures of this church, unto uh, the angel of the church of Pergamus, right? These things saith he which hath the sharp sword. It says with two edges. So we see that the, the word of God is starting to be applied here. And he had this, which is the word of God. Pergamum is the city that is being undermined by corrupt practices and corrupt teachings. The question is, is that happening with us today? Pergamum was a center for pagan worship, and there was a temple uh, to Caesar there also. And I went into how uh, the Jews got a little, uh, they got a um, 
pass, if you will, on having to worship the Caesar as long as they at least gave sacrifice for his health. Uh, what good that would be, I don't know. And we also went into the healing uh, temples. Now, this is, I've, you know, I went over all the other pagan temples last week. You know, the healing temples are important because that was a big thing in Scripture is when Jesus healed the sick and, or, or delivered uh, peoples from demons. And this was huge here in Pergamos. That's uh, Cyprea. That was a, the healing temple. Now, here is another picture of the healing temples. I'm just going to hit them quickly. Yesipulus at Pergamos. That was uh, a statue of him. There was the theater where they actually taught classes in these healing centers. Uh, they combined traditional medicine with psychiatry, which is important to consider. Uh, there's not much changed today. Uh, he was, Asipolis uh, was considered the god of health and medicine. Thousands upon thousands came uh, to the city for healing from all over Asia Minor. Now, at the Asipolis at Pergamos, we went over last week uh, of the staff. There was a great disagreement in Pergamos of the healing snakes against the healings of Jesus. Pergamos was the center of worship for Asipolis and the snakes. So there was a great conflict that started happening. They didn't have much problems with the Jews, but they had problem with the believing Jews because all of a sudden they were walking in this giftedness of healing the sick. So they would go out in the streets of Pergamos, give the gospel, people would be healed without snakes. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so we see that, so that brought a tremendous conflict uh, in the streets. Of, of Pergamos. Now keep this in mind as I'm going to go into just a little more of some of the pagan uh, worship. Now at the Acropolis again, that was at the top of the mountain uh, of Pergama, you had a lot of the shrines and the temples and to the top right hand corner where you see those green trees is where it was called the throne, the seat of Satan, the throne of Satan. That's where that uh, Zeus, it was also called Zeus. Zeus and Baal are interchangeable. It was the same, one's Greek. Now here, of course, is a modern-day rendering of the Acropolis in which you see the theater there, which you see the theater there. There's the theater in this rendering. And then based on the footings on top of the Acropolis, this is how they suspected that the buildings looked. Uh, also there, they got the altar of Zeus there at the bottom. That would have been at those green trees that I pointed out to you. Now, if you'll notice the altar of Zeus there, at the altar of Zeus or the altar of Baal, they're again interchangeable. You'll see it looks like an A uh, sideways, right? You see that? Looks like an A. So in, in the front of this altar, you have an entrance. And then, and then at the back, you have a place of sacrifice. So that entrance... Entrance was what was uh, excavated and moved to Berlin. It was that front part of this uh, altar, and I'll get into it just a little more here in a moment. But as you can see that aerial view, uh, the first part of it was, is in Berlin now in the Museum of Pergama. Now we'll move on, but we'll get back into this. Now the altar of Zeus there, this is important in that... Uh, uh, Zeus was a king of Mount Olympus. 
In ancient Greek religion and mythology, the 12 Olympians are the major deities of the Greek uh, pantheon, commonly considered to be uh, Zeus, and it goes into these other Greek uh, gods, if you will, and goddesses of the Greek uh, pantheon. Now, but Zeus was the head of all of this. It was the major, the main god, if you will, of all of those. Now, here we have the pantheon and the Parthian. Pantheon and the Parthian. Two different closely sounding words, but two different places, but both kind of have the same meaning somewhat. Now, at the Pantheon, and the Parthian are both ancient temples, while the Pantheon was built in Rome to celebrate all the Roman gods. Now, this one's in Rome. And uh, the uh, Parthathon was built in ancient Greece for the goddess Athena. So you've got the uh, Pantheon and the Parthathon. Both of them are temples. One's in Rome, and one is... Uh, is, a, is of ancient Greece there in Athena, or the ancient goddess Athena. Now, the Pantheon, which is, is interesting to me, was built in Rome. Today, the Pantheon is the best preserved monument of ancient Rome. Isn't that something? Uh, and there it is today. It is still there. This is the, uh, and, and what is it amazing to me, I mean, I'm sure some in the room's been there. I, I haven't. Um, but this is a temple that was built to all the gods in Rome. Uh, it was built to, to all the gods. Uh, you can see the writing on top there. That's actually, I forget the Caesar that was then, Agrippa or something like that. Anyway, he's the one that built it, so he said, this, this, this is built by me. That's what he's saying. I, not that he had any pride on him or anything. There's the inside of the dome inside of this incredible temple that's looking straight up at the dome, and it's got a hole in the middle there. And uh, they claim that not much rainwater at all comes in it because of the way their thing's built, that, it, that the air is constantly trying to go up and push out the dome. Every now and then it will, but then the floor is built in case it does, that any water would run away. But there again, this is built in Rome to... All house all the gods. It's the Pantheon has a huge dome uh, ceiling. Now this is a shot of the dome ceiling, uh, the sun shining in through it here. And I want just a little history here. The Romans erected the Pantheon as a monument to all gods with Pan, meaning all, and Theos, which means God. The huge dome in the temple ceiling has a hole that leads straight up to the sky offering a glimpse skywards to the place where Romans believe all gods uh, resided above them. And thus we tend to think the same way, that heaven's up here. And, you know, we have a, a lot of that's a, a Roman-type thinking of the gods up above them. And so we'll have a hard time dealing with that since you know, Jesus is in our heart and all that. we got a lot of working out to do, don't we? Okay, but all of that means something. Now, the Parthathon was built in Athens. This is, we're going to go from Rome. We're going to go, this is Greek. The Parthathon was built in Athens between 447 and 432 B.C. The Parthathon was built to honor the goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom and military victory. 
And we see now that the altar of Zeus, the reason I'm showing this, the altar of Zeus was also called the, the altar of Athena. It would be a counterpart. And when you go from Greek to Roman, Trevor can tell you all about how they all exchange and mean the same God, same entities behind it. And it's called the Parthathon. Now there it is uh, today. That's the ruins, which are in pretty good shape. And it's amazing, these two major, the Pantheon and Parthathon, are still, uh, uh, the Pantheon is in really good shape. Uh, the Parthathon is in a little better shape. But this was housing uh, Athena, the Greek goddess uh, of, uh, the goddess of uh, fertility, uh, sex, uh, war. Uh, why in the world they put all that together in that? I don't know, but there you have it. Uh, the Parthathon was built in Athens, and that's, the, uh, that's a real picture of it there. Now, there is a statue of Athena, a replica statue, full-size replica of Athena that sat in this uh, uh, Parthathon, sat in this uh, temple, uh, was this statue. Of course, this is a, a statue made today. Now, the, the interesting thing is where this statue is today. This statue has been reconstructed. It is alive and well today. The Parthathon was built to honor Athena. You have a Parthathon in Nashville, Tennessee. Did anybody know that? You actually have one in Nashville, the Parthathon stands proudly as the centerpiece of the Centennial Park, Nashville's premier urban park. The recreation of the 42-foot statue of Athena is the focus of the Parthathon, just as it was in ancient Greece. The building and the Athena statue are both full-scale replicas of the Athena origins. Now, what happened, I think is 1896 or 7 in Tennessee, they had a Centennial uh, big uh, centennial celebration, 100 years of Tennessee becoming, I think, a state. So they had this great 100-year uh, celebration. And uh, they did something kind of like you, you do at the World's Fair. Also, they went in there and they built all these buildings and all of this. They showed modern technology of the day and all of this. But Nashville, before it was country, saw itself as the Greek, uh, or the Athens, if you will, of, of North American continent. They, Nashville saw themselves as of all the great thinkers. They saw themselves, but you can watch it here. Now, that's, that's the actual building in Nashville, full scale. Most people don't even know it's there. Originally built for Tennessee's 1897 Centennial Exposition, this replica of the Parthathon is uh, in Athens, and it's, and it's still there today. There is a picture of it back when it was first built in Nashville in 1897. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they also had a pyramid there in that uh, celebration. A lot of those things after that were torn down, but, of course, this one was left. Now, the one you're looking at that there was actually built out of wood and plaster, so they weren't expecting it to last as long as the original. But nonetheless, it is built uh, built as an exact uh, replica. And you got to remember, that statue of Athena is in that building today. Now, that building that's there built out of wood and plaster 
there's Athena. She is in that building. Uh, before Nashville was country strong, it was the Athens of the South, a city that prided itself as a city, a center of learning and enlightenment. That's before it went country. When Nashville uh, hosted Tennessee's Centennial Exposition in 1897, and that's a good read if you want to study up on that, the city wanted to remain remind everyone of its Athens claims, so it built a temporary full-size replica of Parthenon. The site later became Central Park, and the temporary temple was so popular that the city replaced it with a permanent one of concrete. So the one that's there today is a permanent structure, concrete and stone. And that statue was sitting in the middle of it, of Athena. Well, I mean, where is the real? Uh, that's just it. I mean, that's the point. You can say, is that the one that was there? Of course not. But there again, it's a symbol. Do we have an original cross when we have a symbol? No, of course it's not made out of the wood of the cross. The, the, the question is, the, it's the symbol. And so I say to you and I submit to you, there is a symbol there in the United States. And so there, my question is, are these gods being resurrected or not in the last 100, 200 years? Are, are they being resurrected? Are, they, are there temples coming back alive again? Did you know you had one in Tennessee? It's a wonder, isn't it? So let's just keep that in mind. And I don't know how in the world they got country music out of Athens, but somehow or another. I think what happened was the Rednecks was trying to take over Athena. They won't win, by the way. <laughs> now, so let's move on. Now, you had the altar of Zeus, is also known as the altar of Athena back in the day, is known as the seat of Satan. It was built between 197 and 156 uh, B.C. Here, it, here is that front end of the altar of Zeus that I pointed out to you. It's in Berlin. There was an archaeologist, he found it there in 1800s, and it was being, or seven, yeah, 18, early 18s. It is here that Hitler first adored it. So we know that Hitler went there at the seat of Satan, it's called, or the altar to Zeus, if you will, or to Athena. And he went there and he just marveled at it. He just, he was for some reason, it's believed that he had some type of a satanic spiritual experience. Now, uh, that's a kind of a full scale picture. Now, that's the, the front end's actually the, was excavated and brought there uh, with a lot of the statues and things around it. But there again, that's the front half. If you'd had the whole thing, you'd had a back part where sacrifices would have been given in Pergama. In Pergama. Now, this is important because that's considered the altar of Baal. Baal, Zeus, all of that's interchangeable. That's tremendously important because Baal is the main... Uh, God, if you will, in the Bible that came against Israel and comes against uh, God's people. Now, this is not an active altar for sacrifice today. It's not an active altar. But I've got a question to ask you. Zeus is the Greek equivalent of the Canaanite Phoenician god Baal. In the same way, the Roman Jupiter is later equivalent to Zeus. All still, it's Baal. At first sight of uh, uh, Europe, the god was infatuated by uh, her striking beauty and grace, not being one of the ignore his desires. This was a goddess. Uh, Zeus was looking upon a young 
a young lady, and he was infatuated with her not being one of the ignorant to his desires. Zeus immediately comes up with a cunning plan, so the story goes, in order to avoid the anger of his jealous wife, Hera, and to get his way with the girl, Zeus metamorphosed himself into a beautiful white bull. That is the story of how when you see Zeus or Baal, you see a bull. It's because it is said that Baal metamorphosed itself into a beautiful bull, and uh, so, so therefore he carried the maiden away and all this sort of stuff. That's where the bull comes in on the scene. As a dairy farmer, I can see how you can say you can have a pretty bull. To most eyes, you wouldn't say that. Now, here is a, a statue, that little image that was found. And this is of Zeus, if you will, or the bull carrying uh, this maiden. Baal took on the symbol of a bronze bull. And that little statue there is bronze. So the bronze bull. So we know when, we, we know when Israel built the golden calf, it was to Baal because he took on that symbol. And we here, I have a, yeah, a picture of that. That's when they took on that symbol. But you've got to understand that's Baal. Uh, its symbol of Baal is the, is the golden bull, or it was bronze at that time. It was golden. Israel made it out of gold, but it still looked like a bronze color. Anybody know that bull? That's a bull that was on Wall Street. You can say, well, that doesn't mean anything. I, I want to say, has the, has the bull arrived on Wall Street or not? I'd have to say yes, it's materialism. This bull, the story behind this bull is really kind of funny, I guess you could say. The bull was at night was dropped off on Wall Street. They didn't, nobody saw anybody drop it. They got up the next morning, there was the bull. <laughs> so there's a story behind that. If you're interested in stuff like that, you can look it up. It's a pretty good read. But still yet, we should not look at the bull on Wall Street and laugh too much about it. It's a symbol. The gods are returning. Their symbols are returning. They, they've already been among us for some time now. And so my question is, when we see the symbols, is the real behind it? We also know there's an archway. I didn't put it up there. That uh, was put up in the last five years in New York City. I forget the name of it. But there's uh, to Baal. Yeah, it was an archway to Baal. That's right. But their symbols are showing up again everywhere. And they're not being dropped out of a balloon from China. Now, the charging bronze bull was dropped off on the night of December the 15th, 1989, in front of the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, now it just so happens in 86 was the second largest stock market drop that brought on this worldwide recession of 86. So in 87, and whoever, I mean, 89, they had this, they were trying to encourage uh, the market to rise again, which it did. Uh, but he, but who the powers that be that put it there were summoning, sum, summoning Baal to come and bring the stock market. So we can see that the false god of Baal was being worshipped in the United States to pull up our stock market again. And so there again, it is, uh, it is here among us. You know, here we are studying uh, these seven churches. And then the Lord sends us uh, someone actually at ground zero where one of them uh, was. So we need to also prophetically see what that means to us as a, as a congregation. So Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for the power of your spirit. 
We thank you, O oh God, for all of these words that's been said over Kent. We agree with them. And as a house of prayer, we come together in agreement that these words would enter his life, that they would come alive, that they would have tremendous meaning, and that they would blaze away in a path from where when he leaves his place today, that his path, if there's anything in the way, obstacles, that they'll be opened up now, that these words will take, that they'll take root, they'll pave the way. And we ask and pray, oh God, that your angels will take these words, go before him and blaze his way, that he might carry the fire of the Holy Spirit to wherever he goes. We pray, oh God, that Kent will be a catalyst of revival, that he's a fire setter. He's a fire setter. Do I have a witness, anybody? That he's a fire setter of the Holy Ghost of God. That many would be born again. Many would receive a baptism of the Spirit. Many would be set free. Many might be healed. We ask and pray, O oh God, in this church releases him to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ and all power and authority. And those that were in agreement said, Amen and Amen. Thank you.